This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. So as we look to, uh, to God's word to see what he says about us as called by God as citizens of our country, we'll see what, what God's word says in Romans chapter 13. This will be the focus for our sermon. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is why you also pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants. That phrase again, God's servants, who give their full time to governing Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we came here to worship you. We're we're here to, to hear from you and hear what you have to say. And so help us to and lead us to submit to your word for us. I pray that we would hear your word, that that we would forget about the preacher or the, the messenger and remember the message and don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of the work of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. I normally don't see citizenship being a citizen of the United States, as a calling from God. I don't know about you. I don't see this usually and think about it as, as a calling from God. But that's what we're focusing on today. We're, we're continuing the sermon series, Called. And in this sermon series, we've looked at all the various ways that God has called us to, to do his work. And today we're we're focusing on this idea that God has called us to be citizens of our country. And I don't think about this one because out of all the different callings that we've talked about, the callings of being parents or or, or spouses or or employers, employees, all those different callings, um, they're much more visible. They seem to make daily demands on my life, but, but not being a citizen. And so I wake in the morning and and I remember that I'm a parent when, when you may have to figure out a skirmish that's already started in the morning or, 
Or make sure the kids have, have clothes and food and they're ready for the day. I remember that I'm a spouse when, when I wake up in the morning and I remember I'm a husband. I'm called to serve my wife who's sleeping next, next beside me. I remember that, that God called me to be a pastor, one of the pastors of your church. When I, when I come in and I, I study God's word and prepare for this message and do pastoral counseling. All these different things are so visible. They're right in front of me. They make daily demands on my life. And so I remember that, that God's called me to these different identities, to these different callings to do his will. But I don't usually think about God calling me to be a citizen of the U.S. Maybe I think about it on Memorial Day when we think about the, the sacrifice that so many people have given for us. Maybe think about it a little bit on July 4th when we celebrate our independence. Think about it maybe April 15th when I have to pay my taxes or renew my license plate. I think about being a citizen, but, but not very often. And worst, I, maybe this happens to you, maybe sometimes we despise this calling. We, we neglect it. We don't think it's a good thing. We don't see the blessings of being a citizen of our country. We don't see it as a gift of God. And we might despise this calling. And so today what I want to do is answer this question. How does God want me to fulfill my calling as a citizen of the United States? And, and if you're watching this online and you're a citizen of another country or, if, or you're a citizen of somewhere else, you know, plug your own country into that title. How does God want you to fulfill your calling as a citizen? And to answer that question, we're going to go back to God's word and see what it says in Paul's letter to the Romans. I don't know if you know much about this letter that Paul wrote, but, but he wrote to his or a church in, in Rome, the, probably the, the smaller group of churches in Rome. And it seems like as you read this letter, he had not been there. He didn't start these churches. And so he's writing them a letter to build this relationship. And he lays out a beautiful explanation in the first 11 chapters of God's grace, of God's love, of God's mercy. And he makes God so big in the first 11 chapters. God is just incredible. He, he preaches this incredible sermon. And then in chapter 12, he transitions. There's this transition statement. He says, therefore, based on everything I said in the first 11 chapters, therefore, I urge you as brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy in view of the grace of God, everything that I've been preaching about in this letter, now to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So Paul's saying, in view of everything that God has done for you, in view of his love and mercy for you, that he's rescued you, he accepts you, he's done everything for you, now respond in worship. And he says, worship means offering up your whole life, offering up your body, your energy, everything to God. And surprisingly, he says that one of the ways that you worship God is how you relate to the government. How you see your calling as a citizen is how you worship 
God. I don't think I would have put that in the category. When I think about worship, I think about this. Coming to worship, worshiping online, praising Jesus, you know, giving an offering. That's what I think about when I think about worship. But, but Paul says one of the ways that you worship is how you interact with the government. If it wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't have made that connection. And then he gives us specific ways to carry out our life of worship. He says this in Romans 13, verse 1. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Paul says we are to submit to the government. Now this is really remarkable because it's coming from Paul, who's writing to the churches in Rome. Now, Rome was that center hub of the Roman Empire. And at that time, Rome was this, this emperor had been around for hundreds of years, longer than the United States, and it, and it had grown and expanded, owned basically the whole Western world at this time through expansion and military conquest, brutal military conquest, and it was a pagan empire. At this time, I mean, by the time 313 AD comes around, it's a, supposedly a Christian empire. But at this time, it's a completely pagan empire. In fact, on their coinage, it would say, at one time it said, Caesar Augustus, the son of the gods, or the son of God. They saw their emperor as a son of God. And Paul says, submit to this government, this pagan government. Now, the word submit is, is a word that Paul uses often in his writings and, and one that we probably bristle at. You, you heard me uh, preach on that a few weeks ago when we talked about marriage. And it said, husbands and wives, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. And husbands, lay down your life for your wife. And I don't know about you, but when we hear any of those words in Scripture, we kind of bristle at submit. We bristle at it because sometimes it's been abused and that's wrong and we don't submit to abuse. But, but sometimes we just bristle at the word submit because we are in such an anti-authoritarian culture. Not everybody in the world bristles at that word like we do in our culture. We don't want to submit to anything. And yet Paul says we are called to submit to the governing authorities. Why? Well, the second half of that sentence says this. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. We submit to the government because it was established by God. And, and again, Paul's readers had to be scratching their head. Really? We submit to this government that calls themselves the Son of God, that put these pagan deities on their coinage, that, that, that do so many horrible things. We submit, to, and God, you called these leaders? This doesn't seem like something you would have set up. Well, well Paul is not saying anything that, that wasn't said in other parts of Scripture. It's remarkable because at this time it probably would have been uh, Emperor Nero would have probably been the emperor. And it was Emperor Nero who, who blamed the fire in Rome on the Christians and, and decided to, to kill a bunch of Christians, make them human torches basically. It was Emperor Nero who would eventually execute this author, Paul himself, for 
following Jesus and would execute the apostle Peter. And so it's so surprising that he would say that this was established by God. But it's really no different than what Jesus said. Jesus said it first. When Jesus is on trial before Pontius Pilate, they have this little interaction we read about in John chapter 19, and, it, and, and P, uh, Pilate says to Jesus, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus responded, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. So Jesus is telling this, this Roman government or governor who's governing over Judea, Pilate, you think you have power to crucify me? You wouldn't have any power unless it was given to you from God, that God gives our leaders their power. And so that leads to this next application. Paul says in verse 2, So consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. If you rebel against the government, Paul says, if you rebel against Rome, you're rebelling not just against human authority, you're rebelling against God. And you're bringing judgment on yourself. You're bringing punishment on yourself. And so Paul asks this pretty obvious question. He says, all right, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Do you want to be free of fear? I do. <laughs> I don't want to live in fear of the government. I don't want to live in fear of the governing authorities. So you want to be free from that? Well, Paul says, here's a simple thing you can do. Then do what is right and you will be commended. You don't be afraid when you pass that police officer? Then don't speed. You don't be afraid of an audit? Then pay your taxes. You don't be afraid of the inspection? Then pull that permit, right? Follow the government and you won't be afraid. But if you rebel against what God has instituted, he says, but if you do wrong, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Paul says that the government has the sword. They don't have the spirit to change hearts. That's what that God's people have. And parents and teachers and, and, and ministers, we, we preach with the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, as the Holy Spirit works in your life, the Holy Spirit changes your heart through the goodness of God that we have the Spirit, and, and if everybody would submit to the Spirit, if we would always submit to the Spirit, we wouldn't need the sword, but because we still have a sinful nature, we do have government leaders, and all they have is the sword. It's a, a metaphor for they, they use punishments, they use fines, they use jail, they use all these kind of outward punishments. Why? To keep the peace. That's all they have. They can't change your heart, and so they try to curb bad behavior to keep outward peace. And then he says this phrase that comes up, this title, three times in this section. They are God's servants. And I don't know about you, but that leads me to scratch my head. 
It's the same word as ministers. We, we call, you know, pastors, ministers of the gospel. Well, Paul says that government workers are ministers too. And, and the, the readers are going to be thinking, really? Nero, that pagan emperor, he's a, a servant of God? Yes, Paul said. Whether they know it or not, whether they believe it or not, whether they reject God or not, whether they hate God, whether they believe anything in the Bible or not, they are God's servants. God has called them. God has put them in place. They are God's servants to do good. To do you good and to punish the wrongdoer. And so to put all this together, government workers are servants of God who work for our good. That's the the summary statement to, to kind of condense everything we've learned so far. Government workers are servants of God who work for our good. They're called by God to keep outward peace, to use the sword. And in some ways, they they remind me of a substitute teacher. Do you ever have a substitute teacher? I'm sure you did in high school or grade school. Do you have one in mind, somebody who subbed in your classroom? I do. Think about in high school, we had this, this woman who was a substitute teacher uh, for our class for, for quite a while. And what's the job of a substitute teacher? Well, and a substitute teacher, when, when he or she takes the job and, and, and is called in to be a sub, they, they get these instructions from the lead teacher. This is how we discipline. This is how we do our procedures in the classroom. This is what, we, what we're teaching today. They get their instructions from the lead teacher And some of the substitutes listen to the instructions, right? And some of them don't. Some of them do their own thing. And the substitute teachers are are put in place for a limited amount of time to kind of keep the peace. They're not going to create huge changes in the classroom, but it's their job to keep the peace, to keep things moving forward, to keep things from going into complete chaos. And I think that's basically, I mean, it's not a perfect illustration, But that's basically what a government worker is supposed to do, right? Government leaders. They're called by God to be his representatives, like a substitute teacher, to be his substitute. And every one of them have gotten instructions from God. Every government leader has gotten instructions from God. From God's word. And if they don't read God's word, they get instructions from another thing that God has given them. the, The word written on their hearts called the conscience. And like substitute teachers, some of them follow their conscience. That word, right and wrong, some of them follow God's word and some government leaders don't. And they're put in place for a time, a limited amount of time to keep outward peace, to keep everything from spiraling into chaos. Now, I don't know about you, but when we had that substitute teacher, what happens to the students? I remember when we had this substitute teacher, uh, actually I feel like after studying this text and thinking about this, I feel like if I could find her phone number, calling her and apologizing to her, right? Because when the substitute teacher comes in, uh, I don't know about you, but I remember that this, this particular time especially, I don't know if we got together and we told each other this, but we messed with her, right? We tried to cut every corner we did whatever worked out for us. We did the little amount as possible. We tried to 
to work the system and to, to do things to our own advantage and, and not treat her with respect that she was given because she was put in place for a time to be our substitute, to be that teacher, but we didn't give her the respect and the honor that she deserved. Because we forgot that she was put there in authority by the school. And I think the same thing can happen with us. That we can look in the government leaders and forget that God has put them there. And so we try to cut every corner, take advantage of the system, do whatever works for us and, and works for our own benefit, not giving them the honor and, and respect that they are due. I, I've had people remind me that I need to remind it to call our leaders by their proper names of leadership as, as governor, of president, all these different things to understand that they deserve the respect of that office because God put them there. What Paul is really doing in this section is he's leading us to repentance. That we haven't seen our leaders as God's servants and so when we sin against them, we're not just sinning against human authority, we're sinning against God. We're not just in danger of, of being punished by the government if they would find out, but, but God already knows. And we deserve his punishment. So what do we do with this? Well, earlier in the letter, the Apostle Paul tells us he lays out what seems like a courtroom scene. And we're brought before the judge. And it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not even one. And we're expecting God to bring down the gavel like normal governments do, like normal judges do, like normal leaders do, and they're supposed to. But instead of bringing down the gavel to say you're guilty... And you're going to pay. He declares us innocent. Because someone lived as our substitute in our place. Jesus followed the government. He paid his taxes to Rome. And he followed not just the Roman laws, but the Jewish laws as well. And he went to a Roman cross and, and received the punishment that we deserve. And he rose again to prove that we are forgiven, loved children of God. And so with guilt taken off our shoulders, Paul tells us how we can live now. The guilt taken off our shoulders, he says, therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. See, Christians have a whole nother reason for following the government, even if we disagree with them. It's not just because we're afraid of being punished like everybody else. And if that works to curb your, our bad behavior for all, so be it. But he says, we follow as a matter of conscience. What does he mean by that? Because we believe it's an act of worship. We believe that when we honor our government leaders, we're honoring God. It's an act of worship that we do it. 
So it leads us to answer our, our opening question. How does God want me to fulfill my calling as a citizen of the United States or whatever country I'm a citizen in? How does God want me to fulfill my calling? Submit to the government. It's pretty clear, short to the point, submit to the government. Because remember all of the blessings that God has given you because of the government. Even Paul would have remembered those blessings. It was because of the Roman government that Paul uh, was able to travel because the Romans built this incredible road system. Totally revolutionary, changed everything for him. And he could use those Roman roads that were paid by the Romans, by his taxes, to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. This letter that was written to the Romans would have been carried on those Roman roads. In fact, when we read in the book of Acts, Paul is often appealing to his Roman citizenship for protection and fair, um, a fair trial when he's being persecuted. He appeals to his citizenship as a Roman citizen and the blessings he received. And, and think about all the blessings that you have received because of our government. Gifts of God. The roads that you drove on to get here, if you're worshiping in person the libraries that you have access to, the protection that you have access to for the police and through firefighters and all the, the government workers that are working for your benefit to keep the peace, that we can live in these communities. So many blessings from the hand of God because of the government. And so Paul gets really granular here, really specific. So what, what should we do? He says, Give everyone what you owe them. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. When you give to the, when you pay your taxes, it's an act of worship. Just like when you give an offering at worship, you're thanking God for the gifts of good government. When you see that police officer in that coffee shop, buy him a coffee, buy her the coffee as a thank you for serving the community. When you see that soldier in the airport, thank them for, for serving and putting their life on the line to keep the peace in our country. Give everyone what you owe them. It's so straightforward. Now maybe some of you are sitting on your hands right now because you wanted this whole sermon to kind of just Hold up your hand and say, but pastor, what about when the government is corrupt? Are we really supposed to follow them and honor them and, and give them respect if we don't respect them? Pastor, would you please answer that question? Well, you know, it's interesting. Paul doesn't in this section. <laughs> he doesn't in this section. And you would expect him to. He, he's acting as if the Roman government is this good government that's that's wise and always kind and, and, and just, and it's not, but he doesn't seem to answer it here. But he does speak to this point earlier in his letter. He says that there's no one who's good, not even one. That everyone's corrupt. And so we should expect that there's going to be corruption in government. Not like it, not, not approve of it, but we should not be surprised by it. And I think that is one of the advantages, one of the, the blessings of our government 
is that all the founding fathers who started our country, they did something totally revolutionary. They assumed the Bible was correct, that humans are by nature selfish. You know, when you have a monarchy, when you have a king, you assume that the king is going to be good and, and, and lead from the goodness of his heart. And they had remembered, no, that's not how King Henry ruled. He chopped off people's head when things weren't going his way, right? And so they assumed that our leaders are going to be corrupt. And so when we started this country, the founding fathers said, we're going to put all sorts of checks and balances because we assume they're going to be working for their own selfishness. So we're going to make sure that, that there's checks and balances. So don't be surprised when there's corruption. We're just surprised when they can cover it up. But that still leads the question, well, even with all these checks and balances, what if they, they don't cover it all? What if it, it still doesn't work out? What if Christians are persecuted? Well, if, when that happens, and it's going to continue to happen, it's happened throughout history, it's going to continue to happen, we have a wealth of wisdom from God's word to know how to respond. We can look back to the Old Testament where God's people were carried off into Babylonian exile, and people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar, this corrupt government, governor, uh, emperor, he had these men in his administration. And, and for the most part, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego followed whatever King Nebuchadnezzar said. They were good leaders in the government. They were good administrators in Babylon, except when the leaders said, you had to renounce your faith, you could no longer pray, you can no longer worship the Lord. You had to stop doing that. And that's where Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego said, we will obey God rather than human beings, even if you throw us to the lion's den, even if you throw us to the fiery furnace. And that was the same response for the apostle Paul when, when he followed the Roman government, saw it as God's gift until they said he could no longer preach the gospel and he was executed by this Roman government. Same thing happened to Peter. A more contemporary example, I, I'm reading quite a bit by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, an incredible uh, Lutheran pastor in the 1940s, who saw the work of Hitler and saw the evil and the wickedness that Hitler was doing and so did everything he could to undermine the work of Hitler that he would obey God rather than human beings. And if it hasn't happened already, there's going to be a time we're going to have to make that choice too. We have to know our Bible so well and be so devoted to God that we will obey God rather than human beings. But you know what? I'm more concerned that we ourselves have already put government in the place of God. I'm more concerned that we have looked to politics to give us everything that we used to expect to get from God. Meaning, salvation, justification, community, purpose, hope, deliverance, all these things that we used to expect from, from God and his word, lots of times, even as Christians, we can expect from politics and government. So here's, let's just summarize everything that we learned today. Government is a good gift of God. They are servants of God. But let's never put them in the place of God. Don't let them put themselves in the place of God and don't let us put politics in the place of God. Like a substitute teacher, 
They're representatives for a short time to keep the peace, to keep things from unraveling into chaos. And so let's give them what's owed them. Taxes, revenue, respect, honor. Let's fulfill our callings as citizens of our country. But let's always live as citizens of heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for all of the good gifts that you give us through your representatives, people who maybe don't even realize that you're, they're your servants. We pray, Lord God, that you would give peace to our nation, that you would give wisdom to the governing authorities, and that you would lead us to fulfill our calling to submit to the government. And if there comes a day, or maybe already has come a day in some of our lives, where we have to obey God rather than human beings, give us the courage and the wisdom to follow you above all things. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.